thank you for listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, check out our website at stttimothysstores.org or visit us at 6 p.m. on Sundays at the Nathan Hale Inn. Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Good to be together again. Um, and just before we spend time engaging in God's word, what he's saying to all of us, spe- uh, specifically, he's, we're going to take some time and see what he's saying to each of us uniquely. So we're going to do a little holy listening. Um, we'll read the scripture, and I invite you to just, your scripture, you'll find it in your bulletins. Um, read along, close your eyes, and just listen if that's easier for you. Um, but I want you to just pay attention to anything the Lord highlights. So a word, a phrase, an idea. See what is his unique word to you tonight. Um, and just listen and then ask, ask him, God, why are you highlighting this? What is it that you want to tell me? What do you want to share with me this evening? So as we prepare, I just invite you to shake off the week, let go of the stress and the cold and the hopes for a snow day. Just shake it all off. Um, just close your eyes and take a deep breath in, breathing in the goodness of God. And just a long, slow breath out, letting go of the worry, any fear or physical pain that you carried in with you tonight. So, Father, speak to us through your word. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. Mark 4. So again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Some other seed fell in good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like Satan along the path where the word is sown. A seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So, Father, in the silence, just highlight what you want us to know this evening. Speak to each of our hearts and minds. Yeah, so we're just going to dive into the passage. There's a lot going on in this passage. Um, and if you remember, last week we talked about Jesus as a healer. So we did the, the healing of the paralytic on the mat. And we were talking about Jesus is getting this growing reputation as a healer and as a teacher. And crowds are just rushing to wherever he is. We talked about the fact that they would have just like flooded this room. Um, so last week we talked about him, his fame as a healer, and this week we're going to talk about his fame as a teacher, um, of his, no, his rising fame and notoriety as a teacher, and his very famous teaching techniques, parable. So this is, is common among rabbis to teach in parables. This is not necessarily unique to Jesus. Um, it's part of the Jewish tradition, but he, he does use them very effectively, and he kind of it's, becomes a signature teaching style. And one of the, there's lots of definitions of parables, some more complicated than others. But the one I think that has been most helpful for me is that it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So it's, it's seemingly, ostensibly, as just a story about common, everyday life. So he's talking to an agricultural community. So what's going to be familiar, what's going to be common, planting seeds, sowing seeds, how we survive with our crops. Um, but then it also has a deeper, more significant, um, more spiritual level that reveals to people about the kingdom of God, what it's like to live under the rule and the reign of God. So everybody's going to get the kind of common, relatable level. And only the people who have ears to hear, only the people who are really seeking, pursuing, following God are going to get that secondary level that's going to give them insight into what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it really means to experience the depth of Christ. And so this is the first in a series of four parables in Mark. Um, But I find this one to be the most interesting because it's the only one where Jesus is preaching the crowds and he's teaching to the crowds. But then after that, he turns to the disciples and he says, all right, guys, did you get it? Wasn't that great? And they have no idea what he's talking about. They're like, what? Could you, could you do it again? Um, and I think it's so important because it clarifies for us this is not just a parable for the crowds. It's not just a parable for the masses. It's also a parable for leaders, for people who have been following God for a long time, um, who are secure in their faith. So it's not just for people kind of new, new to faith. It's for people at every stage of faith, um, for the leaders and for the crowds, for the, for the disciples and for the new listeners. And so it's traditionally referred to as the parable of the sower. That's what probably in your Bible the heading says. Um, but it really raises two questions. So we talked about it's working on two levels, it's addressing two people group, and it's really raising two questions. So it's admittedly sort of complicated. No wonder the disciples had some questions. Um, so it's asking two questions. How are you growing? And how are you sowing? Those are the two major questions of this passage. And it really challenges, it, Jesus challenged his audience, and he challenges us to reflect on what kind of soil are we for the word of God? And also, not just that, so that's one level. What kind of soil are we? 
But then also, how effectively are we sowing the word of God into the lives of people around us? So we're not just responsible for our own hearts and our own lives. We're responsible to share the good news that Jesus has given us. We're responsible to share the hope that we have. So Jesus poses the first questions to the crowd, to everyone, to the hundreds and hundreds of people who have gathered along the riverbank. So he has to get in a boat just to get far enough away so they can hear him, so that they can see him, so they can know what he's talking about. And so he kind of identifies these four kinds of soil. Um, the, the first soil he talks about is the, the hardened soil, the packed soil that people have walked on. So this is where the path is, so their feet has made it hard, has made it impenetrable. Um, and so nothing can really take root in that because it's hard soil. Um, and so the, he says this, the seeds are eaten by birds and never take root. <coughs> And then he compares that to the rocky ground, where there's just enough soil. There's like a thin layer of soil that the seeds, they don't get immediately eaten by the birds, but there's just not enough for them to grow the root system that Maggie was talking about. It's just too rocky underneath. There's not enough to really be secure. So it doesn't get eaten up, but it also doesn't grow. Then he compares that to the thorny grounds. So we might not... Thorny ground might not be an image we're familiar with, but like crowded ground, over-planted earth where there's lots of things trying to grow in a small space lots of plants um, where there's not the uh, seeds of the word of God are kind of overcrowded and pushed out by by all the other plants that need the space and the sun and the nutrients and then lastly the good receptive responsive ground where the seed can grow and thrive and produce and so with this parable Jesus is telling the people that the kingdom of God in the kingdom of God there are different ways to respond to God's word so God word, God's word never changes it's always the same but not everybody responds the same way because obviously you look around the room we're not all the same we're all in different places we're all in different head spaces we're all in different life stages we've all had different experiences we're dealing with different things currently so to think that we're all going to respond in the same way at the same time to the same thing is just not realistic so if you think about the metaphor and you think about our lives, you can probably think through. Some people have been just hardened by life. So they've, had, they've been trod on by other people. They've just had experiences and circumstances that have, that have made them hard. Their heart is hard. Their experiences have been hard. And they're just not open to God's word. So they're, they're uninterested. They're resistant. They're skeptical. And they might just be angry with God. If they're familiar with God, they might just be angry. And then other people, like the, the seeds that fell on the, the rocky soil, they're interested in the gospel. They're excited about the hope and the peace and the joy, all the good stuff that comes with Jesus. Um, but they're not as excited about kind of persevering through hardship or disappointment or persecution. So they like the love. They like the acceptance. They like the blessings. But then when you get to the part where you have to pick up your cross and follow Christ, it's harder. They're interested in the benefits of following Jesus and the blessings, and they're not so prepared for the hardships. And so then we have the, the thorny ground, the overcrowded ground, where people who are eager for God, they respond to his truth and his hope, and that is a key, significant factor in their life. But it's not the only one. So they're also chasing their dream, their dream job, their dream relationship. They're also securing their status 
and their finances and their security and eventually over time all of these other things that they're pursuing that they're seeking that they're wanting kind of slowly edges out their obedience to Jesus so that this is not to question that their commitment to God but they're also committed to other things and their hearts and their minds and their lives are divided so this might be the person who gives their Sundays to God they go to service in the morning they go to service at night they listen to worship music in their car but then the rest of the week God isn't really on the radar they've got school they've got work they've got their other stresses um, and it's sort of a divided heart a divided life and so, and lastly, the final type are the people who hear the word of God, they accept it, they respond, they obey Jesus' teachings, and they follow him as closely as they can. And here's the difference between them and some of the others. They keep their eyes on Jesus. So no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, the hardship, the blessing, the pressure, the hope, the dream, their eyes are locked on Jesus. And they are following him lockstep, wherever that leads him, wherever that takes them, even if that takes them into hardship. And they experience more of God's goodness and more of God's generosity than they could ever ask or imagine. So Jesus is saying this parable for a first century crowd. Um, But like we just talked about, it also applies to us. So a good question to think about is how are we growing the word of God? And I'm guessing since we're all here on a cold February Sunday night, you're probably not totally hard-hearted and uninterested in God. That's probably not where you are, although you may be. Um, and my guess, but my guess is that we're all somewhere on the spectrum between sort of like casually committed, interested, um, feeling divided, feeling like God is one thing that's important to us, but so are many other things, um, and feeling fully devoted, like whatever the cost, whatever the direction, whatever the future, I'm all in. So we're probably all somewhere in that spectrum. And so I think the better question for us is really what weeds do we need to pull up so that the word of God can grow better in us? Because I think all of us want God. All of us are interested in God. All of us want, hopefully, want more of God than we currently have. But what is choking out the seed? What is growing in us that's a distraction that is taking up the space that God might want to hold? So for some, it might be kind of weeds of doubt or weeds of like a hyper-intellectualism that we don't really believe in the promises of God or we don't really believe that we can hear God. We don't really think that we can hear his voice, that he would reach down from heaven and care about us. There might be weeds of fear or anxiety. So we have to, we have to keep working, we have to keep chasing, we have to keep moving um, because we feel fundamentally we need to provide for ourselves weed of busyness that just there's so much in our day there's just not time to spend uh, with God even though maybe our heart's desire there's just not time or weed of disappointment um, that has kept us from trusting in God's goodness and faithfulness because we feel like he's disappointed us in the past so just take a minute there's some space in your bulletin I want you to just think about what are the weeds that are preventing you from really having the word of God flourish in your heart. And just know there's no shame or condemnation in this. We don't ask to see like, oh, well, this is something you've got to work on. This is between you and God. And he wants to have a deeper, better relationship with you 
Um, and he wants there to be space in his heart, your heart for him. So this is between you and God to really take that next step with him. And I would encourage you to keep thinking about this. Keep asking God to show you any weeds that you might not be aware of, that you might not see, that might be just limiting the depth of your relationship with him. Um, Because I said this parable works on two levels. And so we haven't talked about the second level yet. We've only really talked about the first one. So we've talked about the level of the parable to the crowd, but we haven't talked about the level of the parable to the disciples. So Jesus asks the crowd, how are you growing the word of God? And he asks the disciples, how are you sowing the word of God? For the crowd, Jesus wants the parable to encourage them to reflect on their own lives and their own hearts and their own circumstances and situations. But for the disciples, who are his leaders in training, who are going to take his ministry after he's gone and continue what he's done, he wants them to reflect on how they're sowing the word of God in people's lives. How are they going to continue the ministry of Jesus? How are they going to spread the ministry of Jesus? How are they going to share the hope of Jesus to the people around them? And it's just important to remember that we are responsible for the soil in our own hearts. We're responsible for the state of our own hearts. But we're not responsible for other people's hearts. So we can pull the weeds out of our own hearts and we can address the issues and we can kind of face our own struggles. But we can't do that for anybody else. That is between them and God. It is not our battle. It is not our fight. And so Jesus is trying to say you can sow the word of God in other people's hearts but we're not entirely responsible for how they respond. As the parable says, the same seeds are sown in each of the different four situations. So nothing changes about the seed that is sown. But each time, different people are in a different place and respond a different way. So if you look at the parable, we have three people respond positively to the the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. But actually, only one person out of four devotes themselves to following Christ and fully experiences the fullness of God. Same seed, same gospel, same sowing, but four different responses. So, And I very much appreciate this parable, just personally, because it kind of lifts the burden of sharing with others. We don't have to have a 100% success rate. We're not all going to be Billy Graham and like share the gospel to stadiums. Jesus doesn't expect that of us. If the sower in the scriptures is getting one out of four, I think we can all aim for that. One out of four is a good ratio to aim for. We're doing great. And we're only responsible to sow the seed. That's what the parable says. That it's only about sowing the seed. There's nothing in the parable about how to change the heart, how to change the soil, how to help the people get to where they're not. It's just simply describing the state of the soil. And so I think just an easy example, so Maggie is a Young Life leader at Wednesday Night Clubs, and she gives amazing club talks. So let's pretend we're in a Wednesday Night Club, and Maggie has just given, like, a roaring, riveting club talk. And everyone's just astounded by her brilliance. And there are four new Young Life people who have attended. And the whole time Maggie's giving her talk, one person is just kind of staring at the ground, won't make eye contact with Maggie, um, and just never comes to the club again. They're kind of a one and done. They came to check it out, and they never came back. And then another, another person, after Maggie's done, comes rushing up to Maggie. Oh, my gosh, I loved your talk. You're so amazing. Let's get coffee. 
But then when she goes back to her dorm and tells her roommate, oh, I've checked out this great new thing called Young Life, but it just, like, her roommate kind of teases her, like, oh, you're going to get religious now, you're going to get weird and, like, strange. And then that's it. Like, she's not interested in it anymore. She doesn't want to get teased by her friends. She's done. And then a third person really enjoyed Maggie's talk, talks to Maggie after, says how much she enjoyed it, um, and then comes back periodically from time to time, but never really is super busy, never really has time to get really engaged and really involved um, and make Young Life a priority. And then the fourth person is really just really has a powerful encounter with God. And he starts coming every week to Young Life. Um, he shares his faith with his friends. He gets his whole floor coming to Young Life. He is like the, the dorm evangelist. And then he eventually decides that God is calling him to be a Young Life leader just like Maggie. He has Maggie on his t-shirt. <laughs> and so here we go. Same talk. Maggie gave one talk. And we have four very different responses. And so it raises the question, is it Maggie's fault, the one person who never came back, who just, like, wasn't interested? No, it's absolutely not Maggie's fault. And is Maggie a superstar because one person became devoted to God and evangelizes his entire dorm and saves his family and brings maybe a small country to Christ? I mean, yes, Maggie's a superstar, but it's not because of her. That's not, it's not her fault, and it's not her, it's not her unique gift or blessing that made that happen. Maggie sowed the seeds that God gave her, but she's not responsible for the response. And just like that, we sow the seeds we've been given to the people around us, to the people we know, to the people we love, to the people we meet. And we trust the watering and the weeding and the nurturing to God. So a good question for you to think about is how are you sowing the word of God in other people's lives? Who do you talk about your faith with? Who do you say, I was praying and God said this or I felt this? What do you think? How, what do you think I should do? Because sowing seeds isn't just evangelizing to non-believers. It also means encouraging, supporting, upholding other Christians around you. So you want to have some people in your life that you're encouraging, saying, I see God doing this in you. I, I see this possibility opening up. Let's pray together. You want to have those people in your life. So think about for yourself, who are, you, who are the people that you talk about your faith with, that you kind of debrief with about what's going on? And then who are the people you pray for, specifically if people are not currently following Jesus? So I heard a similar message to this like 14 years ago, which makes me feel very old. Um, and at the time, two of my best friends in the world, they're still two of my best friends. Um, they're, they're not Christians. They weren't then. They aren't now. Um, but I love them dearly. And they have been probably two of the most significant people in my life. And I heard a message about praying for people like this 14 years ago. And I thought, all right, these are my people. I'm going to pray for these two people and I'm going to bring them to Jesus. 14 years later, I am still praying for them, still hoping that God is at work in them, believing that God is at work in them. Um, and now they ask me to pray for things. They'll call and say, like, oh, I've got this, like, job interview. Will you pray? Because they just want to, like, check the God box and make sure that's covered. But, hey, I will take it. I will keep praying for them. Um, and I would encourage you to do the same. Find a couple, think of a couple of people who are, you care about deeply, who you want to have a meaningful relationship with Christ, and be praying for them consistently, faithfully, regularly. You are not responsible to drag them to the feet of Jesus, um, 
but you are responsible to sow the seeds, to be open about your faith, to share them that they can always ask you for a prayer request if they need it. And I would say, who are you inviting to follow Jesus with you? So who are you inviting um, to church? Who are you inviting to Young Life? Who are you inviting to a different student group that you might be a part of? Um, Graduate Christian Fellowship, InterVarsity, Crew, uh, the RUF. Who are you inviting to these things? Because sometimes all someone needs is an invitation. You just need to get their butt in a seat and let God meet them. But they just need that invitation. So like this parable talks about, we are responsible for growing the seeds in our own life and sowing the seeds in the lives of others. So I want you to just take a minute at the end of the bulletin. There's a couple of things, people to identify and commit. I'm going to pray for these people. These are my people that I'm in for. And these are the people I'm going to try to start inviting to things. And I've blabbed on for a little bit too long. So I would encourage you to keep doing this on your own. Keep doing this um, during communion or on your own during the week. But let me just pray for us um, that we would grow well and we would sow well. Um, that we would be bearers of, of God in our hearts and sharer of God in our life. Father, it is our desire that we would be good soil. That, we would, that our lives would be an abundant crop for you. And that you would do more in us than, and through us than we can ask or imagine. So Father, tonight we just offer our hearts and our lives and our hopes and our dreams to you. And anything in us that, uh, that is holding us back, that is preventing us from being fully devoted, we just ask that you would highlight those things, Father, and talk to us about them. Share with us the future and the plans and the dreams that you have for us. We want to be good bearers of Christ and good sharers of Christ. And we trust you to do that work in us and through us. And all God's people said, Amen.